You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're going to build off everything that's good and go forward. And when life knocks you down, I've been through this in Nebraska before. I've been through a hard time in Nebraska before. And I told the team this week that the thing I'm most proud of about my career at Nebraska is when I was down, I fought back. And life's going to throw a lot of hard things at you. Football is not the hardest thing life's going to throw at you. Being 0-4 isn't the hardest thing life's going to throw at you. But if you can look yourself in the mirror after that and know you got two choices when you're down, stay down or keep fighting. And I've been through this before. i got a bunch of guys on this team that I keep fighting too. Well, I mean, I know for me, it hits me right at home, man. Um, he wants it just as much or more than any, any of us on the team, and that's part of the problem. You know, I mean, I, I, guys played hard today. That's, that's, that wasn't it. We just have to, like he says, we need a bunch of guys that love football. And that's what gets you through tough times like this, man. It's not easy. It's no one wants to lose. It's really hard. But if we're if we're gonna change the way this season is going, then we need guys that love football and want to go out there every day and work their work their butt off. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as Nebraska now sitting 0-4 for the first time since 1945. Nebraska now on their longest losing streak in program history. Oh, and by the way, they have to go to Madison, Wisconsin, a place they've never won since they've joined the Big Ten, a team they've only beaten once and tried to end that losing streak this weekend as uh, the Huskers, you know, anywhere you look about a 19 to 20 point underdog for Saturday's game in Wisconsin, Wisconsin coming off a bye week. But, uh, you know, going back just off that open there, guys, when you heard Scott Frost and Luke Gifford, um, it's become pretty clear that this start has been weighing on Scott Frost. He's been put in a situation that he's never been put in his entire life before. He's never really not been able to kind of control things on the athletic field, um, you know, like what's going on right now. He's just not used to seeing a team lose, get beat, make the mistakes they're doing at this point. And nobody's as frustrated as he is right now. And um, he, it's going to be interesting how he handles it because the next two weeks are on the road, Wisconsin, Northwestern. They've got Ohio State. They've got Iowa on that schedule. They have Michigan State. Um, it is not going to get any easier um, as they approach the schedule. Well, Scott Frost is clearly a very confident, almost to the point of uh, a little bit cocky uh, in just how you know confident he is in his ability uh, to turn things around and do it in a hurry. And you know, they kind of set themselves up for this a little bit. Uh, they came in saying, you know, this team was much better than a 4-8 and eight record a year ago. They just didn't get coached correctly. Well, here we are a third of the way into the season, and they're on the brink of their worst start to a season in football in program history. So this is humbling in every sense of the word for Scott Frost and his entire coaching staff who essentially came to Lincoln walking on water. I mean, they could do no wrong when they arrived here uh, 10 months ago, and uh, reality has struck them down hard pretty quickly. And so not only just how the players respond, but how the staff responds. You know, I mean, this is a staff that's only worked together for a few years. Uh, they have yet to face this type of adversity, uh, especially under this type of microscope. And so um, it's going to start from the top, how Scott Frost handles the situation, how his coaches handle the situation, and then how the players handle it will ultimately dictate, you know, whether this thing gets to turned around and how quickly that turnaround actually happens. Every year you, you sit there and you go, okay, well, there's uh, I think we've seen all the records that, that Nebraska could possibly break, uh, be broken. And all of a sudden there's this one uh, that, that kind of looms over the program. And um, you know, you almost you almost kind of look back at the way everything's happened for the staff and, and say, well, maybe this is 
uh, they kind of had this coming a little bit in terms of um, needing to, to be humbled a little bit or needing to, to have a learning experience like this because they've never really tasted adversity quite like they have here over the first, you know, uh, four or five weeks of this season. And, um, you know, I, I think that this is definitely a, a learning moment that, that all these coaches could, could kind of, uh, you know, rally around and, and try to get the team to, to come back from. But, um, like you said, Sean, this is not going to get any easier. And in, in fact, I, I think that there's a, a good chance that it gets a little, little bit more difficult before uh, they, they do uh, or are able to kind of come back from this. Well, it should be noted too that you know they're sitting at four straight losses to start the year. If they don't go to Madison and pull off the upset as currently 19-point underdogs, uh, that'll push them to five games, which will match the worst start. Uh, as far as consecutive losses to open a year in school history. They have never lost six in a row. So they are literally on the brink of some record-setting failures here. Well, and I look at this game with Wisconsin. I'm not saying they're going to win this game, but Wisconsin has not been Wisconsin through the first few weeks. I mean, they, they lost at home as a 20-plus point. Was it 24? We, 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 yes. picked, we picked that spread that week in our weekly picks. Uh, they lost to BYU as a 24-point favorite at home. They barely, you know, they, they played New Mexico well into the second half. Um, Iowa had them on the ropes, and that was kind of their watershed moment, the comeback they made in Iowa City. Uh, but they don't have the explosion maybe at receiver. They lost Troy Fumagalle, their tight end. Um, their defense has lost so many guys over the last few years that this year you're finally starting to see them reload. Now, they still have T.J. Edwards, and they've got a very good corner in the back end as well. Um, but they don't have all of the types of pieces that maybe we've seen them have. So they've been a little bit more vulnerable defensively. Um, so if Nebraska can, and I say this with a big if, play a clean game, I, I think they can do some things with their offense against this Badger defense. This is a game I could see being close into the third quarter. You know, one score potentially, kind of like it was a year ago. But the issue is, does Nebraska have the wherewithal and the resilience the discipline. To, to go a full four quarters against a Wisconsin team that, as Scott Frost himself says, they do not make mistakes. They don't turn the ball over, and they capitalize on other teams' mistakes. And, and they hold the ball about an hour every possession. Exactly. They shorten the game and basically do everything that Nebraska or would hurt Nebraska's scheme um, on both sides of the ball. And so will Nebraska finally be able to play a clean football game? They haven't done it even remotely close all season long. And now you're expecting them to go on the road uh, with their morale probably as low as it's been uh, and pull off a stunning upset and play a clean football game. That might be a little bit uh, of a tall task to ask, but that's what it's going to take for them to win this game. Yeah, obviously Wisconsin is a little bit more vulnerable, but you're right. I don't know if you can necessarily – Asked Nebraska to, to get out of their own way all of a sudden on the road in Camp Randall at night. I mean, everything, the, the deck is kind of stacked against them in that regard. So uh, that's that's not going to be, you know, an easy task, especially for a true freshman quarterback. You know, I, I think Adrian Martinez has uh, performed pretty darn well uh, considering the circumstances so far this season. But again, this is this is going to be another kind of a, a notch on his belt in terms of something that he has not quite experienced so far as a college starter well I, I want to see just how this team reacts I mean I know Michigan they were a big dog going out to Ann Arbor but losing again now the last week I mean they're just in a situation no one's ever experienced at Nebraska and how are they going to react to that are they going to just accept a defeat in Madison are they going to go out there and and put up a fight that people would expect and um, Scott Frost has his work cut out for him there's no question Robin 
um, because it, it is not going to get easier here over these final eight games. Well, and you know, like you said, how they respond this week uh, could go a long way in how the back after the season uh, shakes out. You know, even going into last week, I thought that Purdue game was such a pivotal point in this season. If they would have won that, uh, you realistically could have talked yourself into thinking they could win four of their next five games with this Wisconsin game maybe being the outlier. Now, I think that changes your perception of everything going forward. I mean, it changes how you look at Northwestern. It changes... They're going to uh, have to steal one now. Yeah, Minnesota. I don't, that doesn't even seem like a sure thing right now. Just Illinois with, is uh, one they're going to be... Illinois and Minnesota, they'll be favorites at home. They should be, and we, at we, the same time. And Cookman, there won't even be a point spread. Yeah, I mean, they were favored against Troy. But, you know, it's a matter of can they stay out of their own way. And as these losses continue to pile up, the confidence of this team, you know, it's, Frost has made mention time and again of clean Cleaning out the the foundation, the the rot and the you know the, the, termites. the termites and all that stuff. That those are still there. I mean, they're not cleaned out. And can they overcome those things uh, to turn this season around when things, like you said, Sean, are not getting any easier by the week? Well, they did some more cleaning out this week, and we'll talk about that in our next segment. Tyjon Lindsay. Uh, highly touted receiver from a couple of years ago has left the program. So we'll discuss that, his decision, and kind of our thoughts on that. Nate Klaus knows Tajon and his story as well as anybody. So we'll get Nate's take on that and much more. That's next here, all in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, you know, he was getting better and better. He was frustrated with the reps he was getting, and and uh, and, and you know, so he wanted to he wanted to move on. And so we just got to focus on the guys that are here. Uh, we feel like we've got enough talent to win with the guys that are here, and and it gives other guys opportunity opportunities to go out there and make plays and, and help this team win. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus. That was offensive coordinator Troy Walters discussing the departure of former rivals top 100 receiver Tyjon Lindsey, who was at practice for Nebraska Tuesday. I saw him with my own eyes walking out of the practice field. But by Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, uh, he had made the decision to leave the Nebraska football team. And that all but puts a nail in the Calabrasca, Cali, Cala, however you want to go. Uh, he's part of the Cali-Brasca because he's not from Calabasas. Uh, but that's the last time I think I'm ever ever say those words on this show. Nate, your thoughts, first of all, on how things played out with Ty John Lindsay. I know – uh, you're very close with a lot of the guys in that group and you got to know very a lot of them. So were you shocked, number one, and, and, and number two, why? Well, no, I wasn't totally shocked to, to see Tyjon leave. And, and there, I mean, there had been kind of some warning signs or some rumblings or whatever, some talk about that possibly happening going back to, to before the Purdue game even. So, uh, I mean, I think it was kind of coming off that, that Michigan performance, um, you know, where he obviously had a very, very rough day that day, um, you know, and, and really, I think he's kind of had a rough go this season so far. It obviously did not pan out the way that he had hoped for so far. So, um, yeah, it doesn't, didn't come as a huge surprise. And, and I think one thing that probably made this a little bit easier for Tajon is the fact that, um, you know, he's, he's kind of a different guy. He's very, he's very low-key, has a very f- small circle of, of friends around him. And, and, you know, and some of those friends that were the closest to him were the guys that are no longer with the program, starting with a, a guy like Keyshawn Johnson Jr., a guy like Tristan Jebbia, Avery Roberts. Um, you know, all those guys are, are now out of the program. And so uh, his small circle got even smaller. And, 
Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that that he was, you know, part of the the termite problem or the rot problem that Scott Frost has alluded to, or that he kind of said on on Monday, I think it was. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he was I, never fully invested. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you can say that he he really was. So, um, you know, I, I think with the new four four game rule, you know, he never looked happy either. I mean, when you see him, Nate, when you saw him every day and kind of around well, things, he just didn't look like he was having fun. And that's fun. just tie, kind of ties on too. I mean, you, you go back to I – mean, I can go all the way back to when he was a junior in high school. Every time that I saw him, it looked like he would rather be somewhere else than, than where he was. Even when he was a commitment uh, – or I don't know if you can say commitment, maybe a silent commit or whatever uh, at Nebraska's Friday Night Lights camp uh, when, when they had all those, all those Calabrasca guys up here. I mean, he looked miserable out there. But that's just the, that was the way he kind of carried himself. He never is a guy that really showed a whole lot of emotion. And there's a lot of recruits like that. You know, some guys come in on their visits and they're all smiles ear to ear and can't get that smile off their face. And other guys look miserable. They never crack a smile. But that's just the way that he's wired. Well, you go back to the very beginning of this Scott Frost era. I mean, there was uh, – Tajon, I remember in the spring in an interview, admitted that, you know, he was wavering a little bit if he wanted to stick around for this and essentially had to be convinced. Well, the first workout. Yeah, to give it. Well, and then that was even before the first workout. Like this was back when, you know, he was having a conversation with Stanley Morgan if they wanted to come back. And uh, if he he basically got talked into it uh, by Stanley and then some of the other wide receivers to give it a shot. And then they go into that first offseason winter conditioning workout and he gets sent to the hospital with rhabdomyolysis. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, just I go rabdo. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, literally, that's like a, a life-threatening condition right off the bat that, you know, clearly he was not ready for what those workouts were going to be. He never entail. trained that hard before. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, things got off to a rough start from the very beginning. And uh, he said all the right things in the spring about, you know, buying in and, you know, looking at a fresh start and how he could fit in this off- offense. And the coaches said all the same things that, you know, they really think he could flourish at that duck R role. And then it never translated. Uh, you know, he played 68 total snaps between offensive and special teams through four games. Uh, he was targeted. Uh, he had 12 catches for 76 yards last year and then was targeted uh, only eight times in four games with three catches for 22 and yards And his long pump return was one yard. Yeah, with, with a muff, too. And, and so, I mean, basically uh, he was a non-factor and at times a liability in some cases. And so... Um, you know, the coaches still thought that he had a bright future here, but what, with what we saw over not only the first four games, but uh, the first 10 months or so of this new coaching staff, it just was not working in any sense. Yeah, and, it, you know, it just makes you think about that 2017 recruiting class, how many guys have left. A lot of these Calabrasca guys, there's really only two, you know, of the original California guys left, Markel Desmuke, and he was of all the California guys as low profile as they come. Um, and still a four star, but still yeah. a four star. But as far as his personality, yeah, oh yeah. he didn't really have much fan personality behind him or anything. Kept a low under the radar approach. And then obviously Lamar Jackson is from Northern California, and he's kind of on thin ice right now. But it just makes you think about that whole era, Nate, and the time we spent, the flights we spent, all that time, and maybe at a di- I don't know what a different agenda was sold to these guys, and and they were maybe on board of that agenda before. They clearly just weren't on board with obviously the things now, and I think it's best for everybody. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have I have no idea if you can just put your finger on one exact reason why that never worked out. 
Um, you know, I, I do think that not all the kids that have left the program are bad kids, uh, but for, for whatever reason, I, I do think that it, it was probably best for everybody that, that a lot of these guys have parted ways with the program. You know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, everyone's kind of got their own reasoning for, for leaving here. But uh, at the end of the day, you, you have to have guys that want to be here that are fully invested in, in what's going on. And, um, and obviously, these guys were not, were not caught, you know, all the way invested in that. And so uh, it's, it's good sometimes to start, you know, with a fresh slate. And I know it sounds cliche to say, but sometimes you, you do have to kind of take two steps back before you can take a step forward. And, and maybe part of taking two steps back here is, is kind of cleaning house a little bit. Do you have a Calabrasca t-shirt, Nate? I do not. You never got one. Nope, I, I, I didn't know if you, one. those are those are gone. Those are those are archived items off the shelf. I wonder if Justin Bieber still has his. Um, I, who knows? That's 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 the question. Does does the Biebs still rock the Calabrasco? Did we ever shirt? confirm if that was real or not? For those that don't know, it seems kind of photoshopped. Floating around last year of Justin Bieber supposedly wearing the Calabrasco shirt. I I think it's I think it actually is real and. <laughs> But I, I don't it is. see that that whole logo, though, I think was ripped off from some some band the a couple of kids actually from from Omaha uh, that are out in California and that have made it somewhat made it in the music business. They're the like the the album name or whatever. The, the latest album that they put out was called Calabrasca. And, and I think that had that logo on it. So that was kind of ripped off from the from the get go, actually. Well, Calabra as one uh, member of. The staff told me today, Calabrasca is um, more or less dead now. I mean, there's really, I mean, but what's funny is Adrian Martinez is from California, but Fresno, California, compared to Southern California, totally different. Rob and I have been to both places, and uh, Adrian, you know, much different approach than your typical SoCal type of guy. But Nebraska in general just had bad luck with California recruits. I mean, some have panned out, most have not, and it, it just really, to me, emphasizes even more the importance of finding guys that are truly fits for Nebraska, guys that want to be here, that want to be a part of the culture here, guys that aren't just using Nebraska for this or that, going to the NFL or whatnot. You want guys that love football, Scott Frost says, and that want to be a part of this culture and what this place is all about, and hopefully um, you know, they can get over this attrition they've, they've suffered here over the last few weeks and uh, really this entire first season. Yeah, it just always seemed to me with that thing that those guys were coming to Nebraska to rebrand Nebraska football. They were going to change Nebraska. And the reality is uh, players need to come to be a part of Nebraska and what it's all about. And I think that's what Frost is trying to instill. And it might take longer than some hope, but I think they're on the right path to getting there. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift back over to defense, discuss some of the major defensive storylines, including the benching of corner Lamar Jackson and what his future is next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. He got pulled out of a game. You know, just like everybody else, we get pulled out of a game. And you got one or two things to do when adversity hits you in life. And Coach Frost said it's probably the best that I ever heard it. In, in one of his uh, one of his uh, team meetings, you're either gonna lay on the ground and accept it, or you're gonna get up and, and get up and swing. And so, this is what he needs. Uh, this is what he needs. And this has been part of his development uh, from the new coaching staff. And this is just a tester for him. He needs to get up swinging. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by. Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill with five locations in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. 
Get on into Tanner's on Saturday. Watch Nebraska-Wisconsin. It's a 6.30 game on the Big Ten Network. Get in there all day. Watch all the college football action. There's even a Tanner's in Madison as well, owned by the same ownership group here in Nebraska. So if you are traveling to Madison, their location is in Middleton, right across the street uh, from the area where Nebraska's team hotel is. And it's always been a fun time up there as well with Husker fans, uh, the previous trips Nebraska's made into Madison. Well, you just heard Travis Fisher, Nebraska's cornerbacks coach there, talking about the decision to bench Lamar Jackson. And it's been somewhat of a controversial topic because benching like this has not happened at Nebraska very much over the years. We have not seen players that have come in, quote-unquote, anointed, highly ranked, um, that maybe some promises were made that they were going to play or get an opportunity to start almost immediately in their careers, get benched in this fashion. It was quite a statement on Saturday when Scott Frost got on Lamar Jackson after he was penalized for defensive holding during a Markel Dismuke interception. Then after the uh, the penalty was seen kind of celebrating and dancing, but um, you know Jackson said he didn't know he was actually penalized on that play. But from there, Frost took Jackson, walked him to the bench, told him sit down and don't get up. And Jackson stayed on that bench the remainder of the game in favor of Eric Lee. This week, he is now number two on the depth chart. And you get the sense, Robin, we're probably not going to see much of Lamar Jackson in this game against Wisconsin. Yeah, he's not only number two, he's the co-number two alongside true freshman Braxton Clark. So a statement made uh, by Scott Frost and his coaching staff this week. And um, I think that this is an important part of this process when it comes to this season. Uh, Time and again, you know, we've heard a lot of empty threats and talk about um, you know, if you don't practice well, you're not going to play. And, you know, we're going to play the guys that are, you know, bought in. And then nothing changes with the depth chart because they play the guys who they feel are the most talented when it comes down to it. Uh, well, they're not – Frost is backing up that talk this week. Uh, it wasn't just Lamar Jackson. There were some other guys um, that, you know, injury or not, uh, were starters or at least, you know, high uh, up in the depth chart guys that were no longer listed uh, even on Monday's depth chart this week. So um, they're backing up their talk, which I think is very important because um, you, you got to give you know, some tangible reason for guys to believe what you're saying and that there, that there are actually consequences uh, to not living up to your end of the bargain, not practicing the way you're supposed to, not carrying yourself off the field the way you're supposed to, and then obviously not playing uh, to the level that's expected on the field on game day so um, you know I think that this is a a big part in establishing you know the parameters of you know what's expected on this football team and if you actually have the consequence of losing a job if you don't do what you're supposed to do um, that's going to resonate with these players more than anything you say or do in a press conference yeah consequences is the key word there I think and uh, and it's not just Lamar Jackson. I mean, Markel Dismuke is no longer on the depth chart either after that late hit that he had uh, where the guy was. And that's guy, he played well in the yeah, game. Yeah, and he played well, yeah. And, he, and honestly, he's played fairly well in the snaps that he has seen throughout the season, I think. Uh, but, I mean, that late hit that he had was, was costly, and it wasn't even close. The guy was easily two or three yards out of out of bounds before he came flying in there so um yeah you have to you have to back up your what you're what you're saying and if you don't it falls on deaf ears and and guys are going to continue to do what they what they want to do uh because they know they won't be held accountable for for their actions so uh i think it's a good move we'll see if it hurts nebraska because obviously that's a position where there's not a ton of depth uh we really haven't seen braxton clark play 
at all. Um, you know, so if, if, uh, you know, if Eric Lee finds himself in trouble this weekend, um, it, it'll be interesting to see, okay, do they go with Lamar Jackson? They put him in the mix or, or do they roll with Braxton Clark? And, um, just watching warmups last week for the Purdue game, it was pretty clear that, that they were trying to get Braxton Clark ready to roll. Um, and I don't, I don't think he ended up seeing any time last week, but this is not something that, that's been, I think, a snap decision. I, I feel like they've been trying to bring him and Cam Taylor along here uh, as, as fast as possible. Obviously, Cam Taylor was unable to play. And no one week. even knew that. I mean, that was a total by surprise yeah. deal. He, I mean, as far as we knew, he practiced all week. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, sometimes you're going to have to drop a battle to win the war, and I think that's what's going on right now. They know today, right now, Lamar Jackson probably gives them their best chance to win. Uh, but there's some other things about that that they're just not going to stand for. In the direction they want this program to go, they're willing to, quote-unquote, maybe lose this particular battle to win the ultimate war of what they want this program to be. Well, and two, it doesn't matter how talented you are if you're not doing things correctly. If you're not executing your assignment and playing within the scheme of the offense or defense, you become a liability. And, you know, Lamar Jackson, I'll, I'll call it out, that, that play act, or the uh, flea flicker, he was burned so badly because teams know that he over-pursues on the run and bites heavily on play action. And so they burned him on that, even though, uh, according to Travis Fisher this week, said they hit that time and again in practicing. They are going to, Scott Frost they said they look, worked on flea flickers uh, every day in practice because they know Jeff Brom uses trick plays uh, every game, every week. And so they, they knew it was coming, and Lamar Jackson still bid on it. So it doesn't matter how good you are, what your physical you know height, weight, vertical jump speed and all that is if you're in the wrong place you're not going to make the play and that's where Lamar Jackson found himself far too often I think the question now becomes how does Lamar Jackson react to this does he fight and, and try to correct some things he's never been benched like this yeah no never ever um, I mean I mean you, you could probably go all the way back to when he very first started playing football pop Warner or whatever he's always been the guy and so does does he fight back and, and kind of try to correct these problems and get with the program or or does he continue to to maybe fight back in the in the negative way and, and you know resist change or whatever. So. And from Scott Frost's perspective, Nate, this little stretch will shape the man he becomes for his entire life. Mm-hmm. And and that's what he's trying to do here. He's yeah, he wants to win games, but he's trying to show Lamar Jackson when you get in the real world, it's not all wine and roses. You're not gonna get everything you want the way you want it. Um, very rarely that happens, and, and he's trying to show him a lesson of how the real world operates. Yeah, you you have to you have to do what's asked of you, and um, and, and kind of get with the program. And so uh, that's that's to me that's the big question: is is does Lamar Jackson get with the program here? Uh, I know that he has made some progress, probably dating back to when the staff first arrived, but obviously he's still got got a ways to go. Well, and you know, to Lamar's credit. Uh, Travis Fisher said that they haven't given up on him yet. You know, I mean, they're trying to send a message and they're hoping that he responds the right way and eventually earns his place back in the starting lineup because they all know everyone knows how good he can be. I mean, you don't you're not that big and that tall and that long and that athletic uh, as a former four star recruit and not have some serious talent. But uh, again, if you're not completely you know, mentally bought in and you're doing the things you're supposed to do in every aspect, uh, the talent only goes so far. And so how he responds this week, I mean, he's still practicing. You know, he was there on Wednesday in full pads. I mean, it doesn't look like uh, he's going anywhere anytime soon. 
Uh, but, you know, he's, he's got to respond the right way going forward, not only this week, but for the rest of the season. And a few other depth chart notes. DeAndre Thomas has not been practicing. He apparently had some sort of surgery. Don't expect to see him. We know Mick Stoltenberg's out for an extended period of time. Will Honus, the linebacker, uh, is going to miss the rest of the season with knee surgery, uh, but he can still redshirt under that four-game rule. Uh, Nate mentioned Markel Desmuke has been pulled off the defensive depth chart. Any other defensive changes um, that, that I need to mention here, Robin, going into Saturday? I don't think so. Uh, with Honus out, Jacob Winemaster vaults up to the number two inside linebacker uh, over Colin Miller, which is a bit surprising. And then on offense, we didn't get to this real fast. Um, you know, there'll be you know, keep your eyes. Tanner Farmer right now is the center, um, number one on the depth chart. Cade Warner now listed the outright number one receiver along with Spielman and uh, Stanley Morgan. So they really shook things up. Um, and no surprise, Divino Zigbo now listed number one overall at running back. So they shook things up here for Wisconsin. Uh, when we come back, we're going to bring in Husker online intern Grace Harmon. She'll be joining us in Madison as well, uh, but she'll get on here uh, with the mailbag as we take your questions next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We obviously have to fix our penalties. We got too many doggone penalties. We had refs out there today. We got to fix it. You know, it's not, oh, okay, I'll get them the next time. No, now it's second and 20. We can't recover from second and 20 a lot of the times. We got to, we're playing behind the sticks too much. So we got to, we got to be able to, to be proactive and, and fix these teachable moments for our guys. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we're getting you ready for Saturday's 6.30 game in Madison, Wisconsin, as the Huskers will be on the Big Ten Network taking on uh, Wisconsin coming off a of bye week. And joining us this week on the show for the mailbag is Husker Online intern Grace Harmon. We've got a full bag of questions. Uh, let's start it off. What do you have for us to start out, Grace? All right. The first one I got is, would beating Wisconsin this weekend after going 0-4 to start be a better feeling than upsetting Michigan State during Riley's first year? Yes. No um, doubt. No yeah. doubt. Wisconsin has been like the 500-pound gorilla, the Texas of the Big 12. Nebraska went 1-9 and nine against Texas in the Big 12 in their years, and Wisconsin is the same way. They've only won against Wisconsin one time. Uh, that was in Lincoln in 2012, and then later in the year they got destroyed by that same team in the Big Ten title game. Um, so this would be, I don't want to say a program-changing, but a culture-changing win if they could pull an upset off like this. Well, just from a historical standpoint, it would end the pro longest losing streak in program history. It would prevent the worst start to a season in program history. So that in itself carries a little bit more value than uh, a little bit of a November upset. Now, I think that's why it would be a bigger win than that Michigan State win. But I think if you do want to look at the, at the those two wins or potential wins in context, so I think you could point back to that Michigan State win where maybe that helped give some of the guys on that team a little bit of confidence in what that new staff was trying to do. And I think that would certainly be the case here too. I think that a lot of, that this team would get a huge boost of confidence in what the staff is trying to do and, and really help them going forward. All right, and so how did we get seven sacks against Colorado and almost none since then? Well, I'll tell you, Colorado had a freshman center, a true freshman center, and they had one guard that, according to our pro football focus ratings, that Nebraska just absolutely destroyed. They had two interior, guy, interior guys, and a lot of the sacks and the pressure were coming up the middle um, against Colorado You know, with the guard in the center area. And I think when you kind of look at things game by game, Troy actually had a fairly good offensive line. That was their strength. Michigan, as we know, had a you know a, a very formidable unit, and uh, Purdue. I, I felt like 
it was David Blau. David Blau was very slippery. He was able to get away from a lot of pressure. Well, and you know, I think that there's something to be said for Colorado running a very similar offense to what Nebraska's defense had seen all offseason. So, I mean, they understood where they were supposed to hit their blitzes. There wasn't any confusion there. And, you know, when you're able to play without thinking, you're able to execute at that type of level. So um, there's a reason that the further they've gotten away from what Nebraska's offense runs, uh, the worse those defensive results have been. I think you could also make the case that maybe that was the most intense we've seen the defense play all season long too those guys were ready to roll and uh and i don't know if we've seen an effort or an intensity level that really matches that colorado game since then you're listening here to the husker online show we're taking your questions in the mailbag with husker online intern grace Harmon. all right what would you guys need to see this weekend to feel like the team has progressed since purdue i mean sure a win would be huge i mean it'd be a big one of the biggest upsets we've seen um since that michigan state game um, where Nebraska has gone on the road as a near 20-point dog. But just the semblance of that this is working, that it's going in the right direction, as Ryan Held said, a clean game, uh, a game with very limited mistakes. Because Nebraska fans, I think, can handle losing. But what they can't handle is football 101 mistakes. And we're seeing a lot of those football one-on-one mis- or 101 mistakes that just really, you know, make Husker fans upset because they, they have such a high football IQ level of what they're watching and, and what they're watching right now is not satisfactory. Well, yeah, that's what it comes down to. Just play good football. Don't commit 10 penalties. Don't turn the ball over. Uh, don't shank a punt for 14 yards or muff a punt or uh, give up a big return. I mean, it, just, just find a way to play some consistently good, sound football. And the results will take care of themselves. But until Nebraska figures out a way to stop shooting themselves in the foot each and every possession, uh, they're not going to make any progress. So that's probably where it starts for me as far as what this team needs to do to get better. Stay out of your own way. Play good, clean football. And then you'll be stunned by how things change and the better for you uh, going forward. I don't really think it, it goes much farther beyond that than, than staying out of your own way. I, I do think that we saw a little bit of progress, at least on the offensive side of the football last week. You know, the if, if they win that game, we're probably talking a lot more about the performance Adrian Martinez had, you know, and putting up what was a well over 400 total yards. Uh, which was like a top 10 all-time performance for a quarterback at Nebraska as a true freshman. I mean, I think that if they win that game, we're, we're, that's getting a lot more run than, than, uh, than it has uh, you know, since then. So, yeah, stay out of the way, continue to progress offensively and, and uh, you know, limit the, the turnovers and penalties. All right, and so starting a season kind of like this, who do you think in the senior class still has a chance at the NFL draft? Well, Stanley Morgan is an obvious one. Um, after that, I mean, Tanner Farmer and Gerald Foster really don't meet the measurables for that next level. I mean, I think if Farmer goes pro, it's going to be as a center. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think getting drafted as a center is really difficult. So right now, uh, with the inj- injury to Mick Stoltenberg, um, I-, I think of the senior class, I don't know if I'm wrong with this, but I, I only see one guy getting drafted. That's Stanley Morgan. Yeah, um, you know, maybe there's an outside shot of a, a guy like a Trey Neal, maybe. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he's a guy that really hasn't done much since a, a breakout year a couple of years ago. So I, I don't know. I mean, unless some guy finds a way to make a roster on special teams, I, I don't see it either. Yeah, heading into the season, I think you could maybe have made a case that if Mick Stoltenberg had a solid season, that that maybe he'd get, uh, you know, be a late round pick or something. But yeah, outside of outside of Stanley Morgan, I just I don't know if you can really point to one player. Well, Zigbo may get an opportunity, but I don't, he's not going to get drafted. No, he's not going to get drafted. Um, I mean, you just, there's just too many running backs, and 
Mick Stoltenberg's injury, I think, is going to make it very difficult. Yeah. If he had a big senior year, uh, but he's not having a big senior year, uh, and the injuries have hurt him. But, yeah, there's, there's really only one draft pick right now, and that, that's Stanley Morgan. All right, we got time, I think, for – we got time for what, two more. What do you got? All right, do you expect the NCAA to close the current loophole, allowing D1 athletes to transfer and play for Pac-12 teams without sitting out a full season? That's a great question. I think there will be some modification to that rule that – Maybe only first-year players can um, can take advantage of it or pull out like this because it is, you know, when you're talking about the West Coast schools, the Pac-12, the Mountain West that are on quarter systems, they're at a huge advantage right now. Yeah, I could be, see Scott Frost being the uh, leader of that movement too. He's already complained about the advantage. Well, that, they've been hit the hardest. Yeah, that, I mean, Avery Roberts. But I don't know if they wanted Avery Roberts around yeah, anymore. But, but Tristan all Jebby the guys that, that have left ended up going to the West Coast to go to a quarter system school, and so uh, that's only going to continue to be exploited by those schools uh, until something is done about it. And this, you know, they talked about how this transfer thing has been an unintended consequence of the redshirt rule. Um, so I, mean, I think that you have to continuously evolve the rules to close a loophole like that, that puts such an edge uh, to schools just because of an academic calendar um, that the programs themselves have zero control over. Yeah, we praised this rule when it first came down as, you know, as finally the NCAA did something the right way. Well, this is obviously uh, part of it that they had no idea would kind of play out this way. And, and I think the answer is probably saying, okay, well, if if you're going to take advantage of of transferring, um, you know, or the the four game rule, then you can't transfer anywhere beyond you know mid September, or you can't transfer to uh, a quarter system school uh, after a certain date. I, I think that the NCAA traditionally has done a really good job of kind of keeping things on a on a you know fair playing level, and and obviously being on a quarter system in this situation gives them a huge. This wasn't intended to be a transfer rule. No, uh. Uh-uh. And that, that that's that's where they got to get it figured out. We got time for one more quick one. You got a light a light thing to end on here, Grace. All right, yeah. So this weekend is Allie and I's first trip to Madison, Wisconsin. If you could each give us one recommendation, where to go, what to see, what would it be? Well, this is your dilemma. Allie is not twenty one yet, so mm. um, you're gonna have to find some good restaurants um, to hang out in. Uh, but no, uh, State Street Brats. Uh, you can't go wrong. That's a go-to. Um, the Capitol Square is good. There's a bunch of good restaurants there. But the Bear, it, State Street Brats is like the berries of Madison. I mean, it's their big, you know, front and center bar that people, Husker fans have congregated, congregated there. But we got a couple good restaurants we've been to that you'd recommend, right, Robin? Yeah, the Old Fashioned is one of Sean and I's favorite spots. It's right there on, on the Capitol Square. Uh Parker Gabriel, a Wisconsin native of the uh, Lincoln Journal Star, said that the Tornado Room uh, makes fantastic cocktails and steaks. Uh, and, yeah, State Street for brats, obviously. Bassett Street Brunch Club. One, yeah, oh, yeah, Bassett Street Brunch Club for breakfast, guaranteed. But one one advice is if you go there, don't go full Wisconsin like I did. I went there and I was eat, drinking just a whole bunch of, like, heavy Wisconsin beers, eating cheese curds with beer cheese soup and then bratwurst, and I paid for it for about you a were week up. afterwards. Yes, so do not make my mistakes. Learn learn from my mistakes. And Nate will be in Garden City, Kansas. Has never weekend. been to Madison? Hot spots in Garden City, Nate. Yeah, go. hot spot. In, uh, well, uh, if you have yeah. an Applebee's in Garden City, you might be off to a good Ooh, start. Boy, Applebee's. All right. <laughs> well, Grace, looking forward to seeing you guys on the road trip this weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. When we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I, I think for any any new guy, whether it's a freshman or a transfer, I mean, this is a this is big time football. We're, we're, we're going out and playing, and uh, um, you know, sometimes that whether you were in high school, whether you're junior college, you you were able just to completely dominate a game. That's not the case. You have, I mean, there's a lot of great football players you're going against, so you have to stay within the system and. Uh, do your thing. You know, I think he's transitioned pretty well. Do I think he's going to keep getting better? Yes. Do I think when you look at big picture, sometimes junior college guys, it takes them a half a season to a whole season to really get what you really, you, you can see what you recruited. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, that's just the that, that's just the way it is because I was a JUCO head coach for, for, for four years and, and my guys got a heck of a lot better as it went. Um, you know, later in their first year and into their second year. Obviously, we, we, we can't speed up time. We just have to keep grinding every day to, 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 to close that gap so we can go out there and be efficient in everything we do. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment of the show, and that was running backs coach Ryan Held kind of giving his thoughts on just the whole junior college transition into a place like Nebraska and, and who better than him as he's been a JUCO coach at multiple stops and understands the transition these guys have made. And quite frankly, none of Nebraska's junior college recruits, Nate, have really had that transition that we've thought. You know, There's been a few moments. I mean, Mike Williams had a huge third down and 19 catch against Colorado week one. Other than that, he's been fairly quiet. He's had a couple other catches. Jerron, Jerron Woodyard has not done a lot. Will Honus is out for the season. Greg Bell's had a few runs, but has been quiet as of late. And it's been something interesting because I don't think any of us thought that these Juco guys would be, this, would be off to this type of slow start. Yeah, well, and especially because a handful of those guys, or honestly, all of those guys I think you just mentioned were all here in the spring. And, and typically that's what really helps separate you know a lot of JUCO guys from others is, okay, were they able to go through spring football? Were they able to, to kind of learn the system and get acclimated to, to college life you know, at the, at the four-year level and so on and so forth? And for the most part, all those guys were able to do that. But at the same time, um, Ryan Held's right. I mean, very – very, not very often, I guess I should say, is do you see a guy come in and, and light the world on fire from game one through uh, game 12 or 13 or whatever on the season? So um, I, I do think that for the most part, a lot of these guys are a work in progress and, and we will see the light come on for some of these guys. It just, um, and it'll happen this year, I, I believe. It just won't happen probably as early as this team honestly needs it to happen uh, with the majority of these players. Nate, you were obviously covering the recruiting weekend as well for Nebraska. They had three official visits visitors that made their way into town and it was um, a pretty unique group you had Quentin Newsom who's committed to Nebraska then Jeremy James an offensive tackle that's currently committed to Old Miss and then Aaron Beasley um, a 6'1 200 pound athlete who's committed to Tennessee any big takeaways you had from that group and maybe even some of the unofficials that were at Lincoln last weekend well yeah as far as the officials go um, you know one thing that was really interesting with all three of those guys is first and foremost they're all committed to somewhere right so Newsom's committed to Nebraska um, James committed to Ole Miss Beasley committed to Tennessee but they're all from Georgia so they all kind of connected on that level their parents all got along very well uh, because they're all from Georgia as well and um, you know and, and their for the their travel for the most part was all they were all together pretty much the entire weekend uh, from from the time they got here until the time they left 
Uh, I think James arrived a little earlier than the other two, but for the most part, they were they they all had a bunch in common. So um, you know, as far as flipping the a guy like Jeremy James at a position at the offensive tackle spot, which Nebraska obviously definitely needs in this class, um, I think it's a possibility that that happens, but it's not going to be a slam dunk. And and I think you could say the same for Aaron Beasley. You know, and, and he's listed at six one two hundred on on his profile, but I tell you what. He looked a, a lot closer to 6'2", about 225 in person uh, than 6'1", 200. So um, I, I know that he is a very athletic kid that they would really, really like to add to this class as a, either an inside or outside linebacker. Um, but, again, he's committed to Tennessee. Um, you know, they, he has a good relationship with Jeremy Pruitt there, who's who's a defensive-minded head coach. And so I think the, the, the possibility of flipping him while it exists, it's going to be a little bit difficult. But um, – you know, bottom line for Quentin Newsom is he had the so he didn't get to see Nebraska get a win this weekend, but um, he says he trusts his staff more now than ever before, and and I think that is huge news because he could end up being one of the steals of this class. Uh, obviously, a, p- a player at a position of need there, he could either play corner or safety for the Huskers. Uh, but for him to come away and say, you know what, I'm completely done with recruiting. I'm not taking any visits. That in itself is huge news. Um, you know, and you look at a lot of the unofficial visitors. Boy, there's linemen up and down uh, the sidelines prior to that game against Purdue. And they're all about six seven. Yeah, and they were all giants. Um, you know, and some of the younger guys. Um, you know, Teddy Projaska out of uh, out of Elkhorn. Prohaska. South. Prohaska. His mom's going to let me hear about oh, it. So okay. it's Prohaska Pro- like Nebraska. Okay, Prohaska. Uh, 6'8", 250 pounds. You know, and this is a 2021 kid. He's just a sophomore. Um, he's got a potential to be just an absolute monster down the road. And, and uh, yeah, I've been able to see him play in person. Would not be surprised if Nebraska threw out an early offer his way, he's he's still a work in progress, obviously, but to be as big as he is, to have the frame that he has, and to be as coordinated and as athletic as he is, is really pretty amazing right now. Um, and then Riley Malman out of Lakeville South, out, out of Minnesota, is was another one, uh, 6'8", 250 pounds. And he plays tight end and offensive tackle there, actually from the same town as Bryce Benhart, who's another giant, uh, who's you know pushing six nine 330 pounds or whatever he is uh so i mean that, that those are two two young guys that i think you have to look for tyler miller uh was six seven um 280 pounds out of uh, out of uh, iowa in that 2020 class carson lee out of that 2020 class lots of linemen and i think the it's pretty clear nebraska knows they have to rebuild up front and and they they are doing a pretty good job of getting a lot of linemen on campus so far well i'm pro football focus ranked nebraska's line play dead last um, in the Big Ten right now. I mean, that kind of puts in perspective where things are at, a third party. I know you can have your opinions about their grades, but they're not that far off. They know what they're watching, and uh, Nebraska uh, has not been consistent. And tell me if I'm off on this statement. When I look at how they want to do this with the line, they're going to use Hymas and Farniak and maybe a Juco or two this year or for 2019, maybe 2020. But then you get all these recruits coming in. You get three or four high school guys in three or four more, and they're just going to keep building that up where 
when the time is right, when a Hymas and a Farniak and these Juco guys get done, then they can just hand it off to those guys in a nice progressive unison. Yeah, well, that's what they'd like to have. They'd like to to bring in, uh, you know, a pretty continuous stream of, of uh, offensive linemen each and every year so that there aren't holes in the roster. Now, obviously, injuries happen, transfers happen. There, there are things that, that you always have to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, take care of as, as time moves along and, and kind of address those those needs as they come up but uh, if they could ideally bring in four to five offensive linemen each and every year uh, they wouldn't find themselves playing catch up like they are right now they, they are so far behind right now um, you know after this season I think they've only got eight or nine guys on scholarship offensive linemen on scholarship which is which is that should never happen. It should be about 15, 16. You, you always want to be 15 to 16 in, in uh, at the offensive line spot uh, across the board in terms of guys on scholarship. So that, that puts it in per- perspective, the amount of work that they really have to do. And, and, and for this 2019 class, you know, they've got three guys committed, a couple of high school offensive tackles and Michael Lynn and, and Matthew Anderson. And then obviously the Juco uh, Desmond Bland, who's going to come in and play guard or center. But I do think that, that you – you have to bring in a total of six and maybe even seven in this recruiting class to kind of recalibrate those numbers. And, and I think you have to be uh, probably a, a mixture of a couple more JUCO guys and, and two or three more high school guys to, to kind of reset the table a little bit. Well, Nate, uh, safe travels this weekend. I know you're off to Garden City to, to watch Dedrick Mills and a number of Husker targets. Yeah, that's uh, going to be pretty excited to do that. Um, Garden City's having a heck of a season, and, and they're kind of doing it on the on the legs of uh, Dedrick Mills. So excited to see him in person as well as, um, you know, Olaseni Bamadeli. Uh, you just I, wanted I, to do that. Yeah. You and, just wanted to do it. And, and uh, you know, he's the big-time offensive tackle that they're recruiting out of, uh, out of Garden City. And like you said, a handful of other uh, prospects and, and recruits that are going to be there too we'll make sure you log on to huskeronline.com we'll have complete coverage from madison as the huskers take on wisconsin as robin grace Allie, and i will all be there then nate and greg peterson will be in garden city over the weekend with full coverage of that game thanks again for joining us this week on husker online your authority on nebraska athletics